Today, we're going to deal from another portion of scripture from Paul's epistles, second epistle to the Thessalonica church in 2 Thessalonians, because that's what we're doing from the pulpit in SIBKL. The title of my sermon this morning is The Apostasy and the Antichrist. You know, those of you who have been following me in my Revelation series uh, for 10 weeks now, but I've heard a lot about the Antichrist, you know, the beast and so on and so forth. And I thought that, ah, finally, after so many weeks, I'm finished with the Antichrist, I'm done with him, you know, I don't want to talk about him anymore. But clearly not so. Why? Because this portion of scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, guess what? Talks about the Antichrist. By the way, I'm glad. Why? Because this portion of scripture about the Antichrist tells us one aspect of the Antichrist not mentioned at all in any part of the Bible nor in Revelation. So I'm very, very happy to share what I want to share with you today about the apostasy and the Antichrist. Let me pray. So Father, I want to commit this Morning to you, I want to pray that even as I share from the Word of God, help me, Lord, to communicate it accurately without adding or subtracting, but interpreting what you want to say to us, what you want to say to your church through me, because I'm nothing more than a conduit, a channel of what you want to say to the churches. So help me, Lord. I need you. I really need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 17. What is the context? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. So what's the context? The context is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1, and the gathering to him at his coming. So the context of what Paul is going to say is the event, very specifically mentioned, the second coming, what coming? Second, not the first coming, huh? the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1. And when we are gathered to him, Pastor, is this a rapture? No. This is not the rapture. This is what will happen when Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming and those who are dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive will then be caught up to be with the Lord forever. What event is this? The event recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 13 to 18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, 
and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 onwards. All these things will happen when Jesus Christ is going to come in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. In my opinion, this happens at the coming of the Lord. This is not the rapture. So the context is the second coming of Jesus Christ as recorded, those of you from Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 onwards. But the amazing thing is this, is that why does Paul address this event? Because in verse 1 and verse 2, the Thessalonian Christians actually believed that they are in the middle of the Great Tribulation. Why? Because they were going through intense persecution and suffering. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Christians, no. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they thought that Jesus Christ is going to come back again, you know, and there's hope. And our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled. So how were they misled? By three things. Prophecy, report, or letter, supposed to have come from us, that the day of the Lord has already come. So Paul says, no, no. The end times hasn't come yet. The day of the Lord hasn't arrived. You see? So Paul is trying to correct some false teaching of the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord is very near because they are going through intense suffering and persecution. And, and we've seen this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, all right, when it talks about the trials and tribulations. And from Pastor Lee Chu's message last week, we spent an entire sermon on the persecuted church. So they were going through intense persecution and so they thought that, hey, this is the Great Tribulation. But Paul says, no, no, no. This is not the end times. Why? Because, he says, in verse 3 onwards, the day of the Lord, that's what he says. Let me read verse 3. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, what day? The day of the Lord's second coming will not come until two things happen. Until the rebellion occurs, firstly, and until the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So, the day of the Lord will not come until two things occur. Number one, apostasy. He calls it a rebellion. Must occur. Massive apostasy worldwide, in the churches even. And the second thing that must occur before Jesus Christ comes back again is the man of lawlessness. The Antichrist must first be revealed. So has all these things happened then? No. That's why Paul says, no, 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 brothers and sisters, this is not the great tribulation and this is not the day of the Lord. I just want to say this. 
you know, I'm going to share with you something in a short while that probably might blow your mind, might be um, something that you have not uh, seen before. But I, I want to say this, you know, in my Revelation series so far, 10 weeks now, one of the things that, 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 uh, that really encouraged me is that over the last one year when I prepared for this teaching series, there are many in my own experience what I call aha moments. Moments in which, hey, I myself didn't see it. And the Spirit of the Lord began to reveal to me things that I myself didn't know and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you and I pray and hope that you too had at least some aha moments during our 10 weeks so far and only three more weeks to go. You will remember during my first session in my introduction to this series, I quoted uh, this guy by the name of George Carlin. He was the most famous, what I call, stand-up comedian in America who is a political satirist. In other words, he's a social activist, but he used comedy to deliver his message. And he said this, Life does not consist of how many breaths we take, but those moments that take our breath away. And my prayer is that over the last 10 weeks, and those of you who are following me in the Revelation series, there were a lot of moments that took your breath away. And I also pray that this passage possibly could be one of those moments. So the day of the Lord, Paul says, will not come until firstly, there is widespread apostasy, rebellion. The word rebellion comes from the Greek word apostasia. Apostasia, apostasy, you see. What is it? It is a great falling away from the face. It is a great departure from the truth. And, and we see that nowadays. So has the end days happened? Don't you know. But this will not happen until there is a massive falling away, more than what we are experiencing today, much, much more. And, 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 let, let me share with you today. There is increasingly a great falling away from the church, more so in the midst of all this pandemic, more so when because of the social distancing and the inability for us to meet together, I've, I was told that a lot of churches have, have shut down. A lot of Christians have gone cold. And not only that, a lot of Christians are misled away from the truth. How? It tells us in verse 9 to verse 12, the methodology of the evil one in leading the Christians away from the truth. How? Look at verse 9 to verse 12. And I've listed down the ways. The coming of the lawless one in verse 9 of, Revel of Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, 
the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed, number one, all kinds of counterfeit miracle signs and wonders. So the first way where there is a departure from the faith is counterfeit signs. Now, now when I say this, ha, huh, I don't want you to say, there you are, pastor, those of you from mainline churches, there you are, uh, all these signs, wonders, bang, come one, bluff one. No, no, no. God still heals. God still works miracles. But the evil one, being a counterfeit, uses counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders to lead people astray. So we must be careful and we do not throw the baby out with a bath water because miracles still happen today to the glory of God. Other things is, in every sort of evil, verse 10, that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to obey, to love the truth. So people refuse to love the truth willingly and intentionally, and therefore they are led astray, and so be saved. And for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion, verse 11, so that they will believe in the lie. The devil is a father of lies. So people believe in lies, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. You know something? If I were to summarize all of these methods, one word, deception, 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 half-truths. So the way to counter this apostasy is for us to be embedded, ingrained in the truth. What truth? Not any truth. The truth of the Word of God. Now, those of you who, who have following me in a Revelation series would have heard me speak yesterday. At the end of my 10th session, how did I conclude? The way to overcome Satan is to declare, believe, hold fast onto the truth of God's word. Not any truth, not your opinion, my opinion, but the truth and enshrined, engraved in God's word. That's how we conquer the evil one. So Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, in answer to the apostles' question, Master, what are the signs of the end of the age? And the first thing, Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus mentioned as a sign at the end of the age is, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception. So my brothers and my sisters, we have to be very alert, very careful that we are not deceived. Jesus goes on to say, Matthew 24, verse 10 to verse 13, at that time, many will turn away from the faith, that's what here apostasy, and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I'm so frightening, you know. Most, not many. Huh? And my prayers, you and I, will not be included in this most. 
but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's the same message in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when we come to the end of this morning. The key is, my friends, stand firm. Hold on to the faith, right? So cling on to the truth. When I say cling on to the truth, can I take you one step further? When the truth is presented to you, don't be cynical. You are not a perennial self-appointed critic. So much so that even when the truth is presented to you, you don't receive it. Truth must transform. So our appropriate response to the truth is obey and be transformed. Don't, there's no joy in being a self-appointed critic one. No. Whole life, cynical. No. When the truth is given to you, let it transform your life. Obey lah. So, the day of the Lord will not come, Paul says in this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, until two things happen. Until apostasy occurs, and this is where I now run into a little bit more controversy, until the Antichrist must appear. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 3 to verse 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the apostasia occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Second thing must happen. The man doomed to destruction, verse 4. He opposes and exalts himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, and even sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming, proclaiming himself to be God. So I've listed down the description of the Antichrist, and I won't go into any further because I need my time to share with you uh, the, 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 the essence of the Antichrist. So I've listed down to you. He tells you what are the characteristics of the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness, he's doomed to destruction, opposes himself, over God, worship as God, set himself up in the third temple. So a man of lawlessness. Why? Not because he's without law, but he is above the law. He is the law unto himself. Okay? Because anti means not only against, but instead of. So he sets himself up as God in the third temple. We've done all of this in Revelations chapter 13 to chapter 18. The key is this. Someone asked me, Pastor, is the Antichrist around already? Is the Antichrist born already? Is he a European or a, or a Middle Eastern or what? So, does he come to the East or the West now? Look, listen, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether the Antichrist is already here or not. I don't know. But what I do know is a spirit of the Antichrist is already here. How do I know? How do I know? 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Now let me read 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. You have it on your screen. It says this. Dear children, this is the last hour Listen to the same apostle 
in the third epistle of John that wrote Revelation. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come and this is how we know it is the last hour. So this is the last hour because the spirit of the Antichrist has already come. First, the first John chapter 4, verse 3. Did I say third John? No, first John, uh, chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 3. The apostle John says, Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So the Antichrist is here in the world. Now, is the Antichrist already born? Don't know. But all that we do know is that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. That is the spirit of the lawless one, you see. But the point is this. Let me read now 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 8. And this is where the difficult portion is. Go back to 2 Thessalonians, all right, chapter 2, verses 5 to verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 8. Don't you remember, Paul says, that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. In other words, hey, I told you before, ma. Now let me repeat it again. Huh? I told you before already. Verse 6. And now you know what is holding him back. What's him? The Antichrist. So that he may be revealed at a proper time. Not yet. Boom. Verse 7. For the secret power of lawlessness. What is the secret power of lawlessness? The spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist spirit is powerful. So the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work, verse 7, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, verse 8, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, i.e. the word of God, and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So this verse tells us this. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. But he is being restrained. He is being held back. By who? The restrainer. So the restrainer, who is this restrainer? Because this one, the restrainer, holds back the Antichrist so that two things. That the power of the Antichrist is not fully expressed and it holds back the Antichrist so that he's not yet revealed until the proper time. Who is the restrainer? And that is why I'm so glad that I'm dealing with this portion. Most commentators, if not all, and I believe the same, that this restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was doing Revelations, when I'm still doing Revelations, at the first session, you know, somebody asked me this question ahead of time. Clearly, this guy knows his Bible well. It's actually Brother Tantik Singh. 
at the first session, he asked me, Pastor, who is the restrainer? I didn't answer him. So texting, I'm answering you now. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit now, also present in the world, is now restraining the spirit of the Antichrist so that the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, will not do worse. In other words, if the Holy Spirit is not here, it could have been worse now. But the time will come when the Spirit of when the Holy Spirit will now step aside and the whole spirit of the Antichrist will now have its full sway. Why? Uh, why? I don't know. This is ask God. And so now, can I say this? Those pre-tribbers, pre-trib belief, pre-tribulation, who believes that the church will be raptured before the seven years of the Great Tribulation, hangs on to this verse. Aha, pastor, there you are. You see? So the Holy Spirit is taken away, ma. When the Holy Spirit is taken away, because Holy Spirit lives in Christians, ma. So Christians are taken away, ma. So the church is raptured before the Great Tribulation. Ha, caught you. So they believe that the Holy Spirit will be taken away from the world before the rapture and this rapture takes place before the Great Tribulation because this portion of Scripture tells us the restrainer will be taken away before the Antichrist is revealed. I beg to differ. And here are my three reasons why I believe that the Holy Spirit cannot be taken away from the world during the Great Tribulation. Reason number one. If the Holy Spirit is taken away from the world during the Great Tribulation, then there will not be any more conversions during the seven years. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is God's agent of salvation. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. So you mean to say that when the church is raptured, there will not be any more Christians, no more salvations in seven years? What? What happens if somebody calls on the name of the Lord during the middle of the Great Tribulation? Cannot be saved. Why? No Holy Spirit. Ma. Taken away already. Cannot be... Because Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Revelations, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, go and look at it again. It tells us that the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into us and seals our salvation. No Holy Spirit, no more salvation. How could that be? Secondly, why I believe that the Holy Spirit cannot be taken away from the world during the Great Tribulation is it is absolutely unthinkable that during the time of the Great Tribulation, when the saints need God most, God vacates Himself. God vacates the Holy Spirit. Serious? When the time, during the time when we need the Holy Spirit to empower us, strengthen us, comfort us, fortify us, guide us in all truth, lead us, protect us. No Holy Spirit. Whoa. 
What? God will never, never, never do that. And the third reason why I believe that the Holy Spirit cannot be taken away from the world in this passage is the language. Is the language. Because all translations, every translation that I know translates the Greek katazon, arti, eyes, ek, miso as taken out of the way, not taken out of the world. The NLT got it more accurately when it says, the restrainer steps out of the way. It is not taken out of the world. The Holy Spirit is still there, but step out of the way. And if I may just move a little bit from the camera, I, let me illustrate. You are walking towards me. I suddenly come here and I block you. I block your way. You cannot go in. I restrain you. But then after a while, I step aside and you walk through. Am I still around? Yes. Am I still here? Yes. What did I do? I just step aside and allow you to go through and do whatever you want. That is the meaning of the text. The Holy Spirit, for reason known by God, is stepped aside, is taken out of the way, so that in the seven years, the Antichrist can do its worst. So the Holy Spirit is not taken out of the world. Taken out of the way, is not taken out of the world. The church, Christians, and the Holy Spirit, sorry lah, is not raptured before the Great Tribulation. The Holy Spirit is still there. The Restrainer is still there. Let me summarize. So the day of the Lord will not come until two things happen, Paul says in this passage. Firstly, they must have an apostasy a great apostasy, greater in scale and in scope than what we have now, must occur. And secondly, the Antichrist must appear, which clearly had not done so during the time when Paul wrote to the Thessalonica church. Let me close. What should we do then? What should our actions be? I've spoken about apostasy. I've spoken about the Antichrist, and I hope I don't have to speak on him again other than his final destruction in the lake of fire, what then should our actions be? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to verse 15, and with this I'll close. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and true belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The verse 15 is very important. What should our actions be in the light of all that I have shared with you? So then, brothers, so then, church, so then, SIBKL, so then, whatever church you are from hearing this message, stand firm. Hold on to the teachings we have passed on to you, whether by word or of mouth or by letter. So 
two actions are needed. Number one, stand firm in your faith. Number two, hold fast to the teachings. Can I encourage you to do the same? And this is exactly how I ended the session last yesterday in Revelations. The way to overcome all the lies, the way to overcome the spirit of Antichrist, the way to overcome the deception of the devil is number one, hold on, hold on to your faith. Don't give up, don't cave in. Again and again, you told me, you heard me say, remain faithful, don't give up. Please, don't give up. And hold fast, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings of God. You, you know, there's a buzzword going on at the moment especially among young people, languishing. So I look at the Bible, uh, the dictionary, what's languishing? Huh? Languishing means become feeble, become weak, become wasted. So people are now prepared to languish. Why? Huh? I don't know. At a time where they need to be strong and stronger, at a time when the Bible exhorts us to hold fast and hold firm and, st and, and stand fast, stand firm, Christians give in to languishing, become discouraged, depressed, dispirited. Now, I'm not saying, I, I, Pastor, you got no compassion. It's not about compassion, it's about survival. You give in to the devil, the devil will kill you off. So sorry, I have to be firm and tough because I love you guys. And I don't want you to be lost and perish because I don't want you to languish. I want you to stand firm and hold fast. Hallelujah. Hear my heart, my friend. Hear my heart. Let me close. By praying the prayer of Paul, in verse 16 to verse 17, and with this, I'll close. And so may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, may the God of our Father, who loves you, my friend, He loves you, He loves me, and by His grace, gives us eternal encouragement and good hope. There is hope. Don't give up. Please, don't languish. Don't give in to the spirit of wastedness and weakness and feebleness. Stay strong. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. So my friend, stand firm. Hold fast. Will you do that, my friend? Will you do that? Will you do that and remain faithful to the Lord to the very end? Hallelujah. So, Father, I would thank you, Jesus, for this message. I want to pray that we will take it seriously, O oh God, because we know that unless we not only hear the truth, but apply the truth and transform our lives, O oh God, we know nothing will change, nothing will happen, but we want to be strong, Lord. We want to stand firm and hold fast to the Word. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, church, let's worship the Lord with this wonderful song, the song that I, I, I played before in the Revelation series, led by, by Cynthia Quack. Give me clean hands, give me pure heart, that we will not lift our soul to another. Let's worship the Lord as we close. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
Oh, Father, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. That truly, Lord, no matter what happens, that we will not lift our soul to another, that we will not give our allegiance to another God, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be now or even in the days that lies ahead. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm going to pray that we will be strong, we will be strengthened, Lord, that we will stand firm, we will hold fast to your word, Lord, to the truth of your word, because clearly it is your word that strengthens us. And thank God we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who will lead us into all truth, who will comfort us, fortify us, encourage us. Oh, hallelujah, empower us. Oh God, we, we, we know there is hope. There is hope in you, Lord. And so we cling on to you, Father, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you are to us, oh God. And help us, Father, to overcome and overcome together because together we will overcome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so right now, hallelujah, right now, right now, will you just spend a moment of quietness, just 30 seconds before I close. Will you dedicate your life back again to God? Will you do that, friend? Will you tell the Lord, yeah, I, I thought of giving up, I thought of languishing, but today, after this message, I'm strong again. Thank you for speaking to my spirit, man. I will rise again, I will rise again, and we will overcome. Will you do that, church? Spend just 30 seconds. Hallelujah. Reflecting and telling the Lord, yes, you will not give up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Hallelujah. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you this day. May the Lord make His face always to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and your loved ones and always grant you shalom. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen and Amen.